You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. What organizations can do is just to be vigilant, educate their employees, and just stay safe out there. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, my conversation with Dustin Warren. He's from a company called SpyCloud, and his team has been monitoring criminal forums during the COVID-19 pandemic, and he's here to share what they've been seeing. And we are back. Joe, before we jump into stories, we got a little bit of uh, feedback from one of our listeners, Mm -hmm. uh, another listener who also happens to be named Joe. Ah. Uh, And we were commenting on an earlier episode. I think you and I were both sort of scratching our heads a little bit and wondering why eBay gift cards were something that the criminals were requesting. Yes, that's right. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go on there and buy some auto parts or something? Right. Um, right. (laughs) This listener wrote in and said that uh, you can buy gold. Gold on eBay, which really? may be what they're doing. Yeah, and he, he included a link to some gold bullion. So uh, I guess you can buy gold and just buy it now. And I suppose that's a pretty effective way to launder that money, turn it into gold. Yeah, I suppose that is a good way to launder money because once it becomes gold and a tangible asset, it doesn't really have any way of being traced. Right. The only thing here is I don't know that I would buy gold from eBay. <laughs> you know, I, I just. I mean, how do they know they're not getting scammed out of the money they scam people out of? You know, it yeah, becomes a, yeah. a one big scam circle. Right. It's gold esque. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get to our stories this week again. Thanks to our listener uh, Joe for sending that in. It's an interesting insight there. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us? This week, I have a story from the BBC, uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes. It's of course a COVID nineteen story, Dave. Because we can't not talk about COVID-19 right now for some reason. Yeah, that's true. This is about a cold calling con man. Now, you're familiar with the term cold calling. It's what you do in sales. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just dial the numbers until you get someone to say, yeah, I'll talk to you for a little bit. And this is kind of the same thing. This guy was going around knocking on people's doors, and he repeatedly banged on this one woman's door. And this woman was 83 years old, and he claimed to be from health and safety and said she would be arrested if he did not let her in. Hmm. And when the victim opened the door, this guy barges into her home saying he needs to check her property. Now, here's part of the sick part of this. The victim has dementia, right? She's an older lady Hmm. and was following the guidance to stay home amid the outbreak, particularly because older people are at a greater risk for this, uh, for this disease. The guy demands 220 pounds from the lady for some reason. But fortunately, he leaves empty handed because the woman only has 20 pence of cash Hmm. with her. So he didn't make any money off this. But this is kind of an example of how con artists are exploiting the current crisis. There is a, uh, an organization in the UK called the NTS, or the National Trading Standards. It's a consumer protection body. And they said cases of this kind of doorstep crime and other scams are increasing right now. And hmm. they are being revised to steal from people who are left alone and vulnerable to the coronavirus restrictions. So the NTS says you should... Check on your family members and your neighbors that are vulnerable to this and you know, keep an appropriate distance, of course, but check on them. 
One of the other things they said is, I don't know how they calculate the statistic, is that only 5% of these scams are reported. And we've gone over this numerous times. A lot of times people don't report scams because they are embarrassed of the fact that they got scammed. They may not even be aware of the fact that they got scammed. And boy, I, I guess from the criminal's point of view, it makes sense. You can knock on someone's door and say you're you know, you're from the government, you're here to help, or right, you're doing yeah. some sort of mandatory uh, inspection, which, you know, these days we've got a lot of rules in place that yep. that we would, didn't have before. We, we were, were told to stay inside and there are fines if you're, you know, somewhere you're not supposed to be. So all of these emergency powers. Fines and in prison for uh, in here in Maryland, right? You can be in prison yeah. for up to a year if you're violating our quarantine emergency order stuff. Right. So you have all these emergency powers, right. which I, I think it makes them uncertain. And of course, there's the fear factor, which which is always uh, what these bad guys look for. Yeah, they're capitalizing on the fact that you don't want to mess with the government. Right, right. They had some other examples of scams that were going around as well. These are door-to-door scams, fake and dangerous hand sanitizers, fakes, masks, and swabbing kits being sold online and, of course, door-to-door. You know, there's nothing stopping somebody from making fake hand sanitizer out of some ingredients they have around the house, right, and selling it right. at exorbitant prices. And, of course, it probably won't work because it will probably not be strong enough to work. Collections supposedly for charities to help the vulnerable, but they're just actually straightforward theft. They're just saying, hey, help us help these people affected by the coronavirus. And then you give them the money and they just disappear. Right. Gangs arriving unannounced to disinfect driveways. This seems to me like the driveway paving scam that we get here in the States a lot, but now they're going with the disinfect your driveway scam. (laughs) Your driveway doesn't need to be disinfected. The driveway paving scam is some folks will come and they'll say they're going to seal your driveway, which is something, if you have a driveway, it's something that, you know, it's a regular maintenance thing. But I think what they do is instead of actually sealing it, they just paint it. Right. If they do anything, they paint it. They just paint it black and they say it's sealed and, you know, and away they go. they go. Right. Yeah. These offering to shop for housebound residents, but just stealing the cash they're given. So they mm. show up at somebody's house and say, hey, I'll go uh, go shopping for you. Tell me what you need. I'll charge you 20 pounds to do the shopping for you plus what the groceries cost. So give me 120 quid and I'll go get your groceries. And then poof, they're gone and no right. groceries and your money's out. I guess the, the heartbreaking part is that we're in this situation where there's desperation all around. And so people are doing what they think they need to do to provide for themselves and for the bad guys. Uh, That means they're extending these scams, maybe finding new ways to come at people. You know, they're just taking advantage of an opportunity to probably reap more than they normally do. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I I guess keep an eye out for it. As always, uh, let your friends and relatives know, particularly those folks who are in vulnerable groups. Absolutely. Just uh, have them be on the lookout for this sort of thing. If if someone comes to their door, I think it's fair to say no one's going to come to your door and demand in-house inspection. Yeah, that is not part of the restrictions. The restrictions are essentially stay out of populated areas and stay at home. If you're staying at home, you're meeting the requirements. There's no restrictions when you're home. Right. They're not going to come in and go, well, that's out of place. You need to pay this many dollars or pounds or or whatever to settle up with the government. That's just not going to happen. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone shows up and they look like and act like they're from the government, who knows how people are going to react to that? I, I would imagine fearfully. Yeah. All right. Well, my story this week, I suppose it's it's sort of a good news story. And uh, shockingly, it has nothing to do with COVID-19. Ah, the <laughs> but, only uh, part of our show today that doesn't have anything to do with COVID-19. I saw recently, a couple of weeks ago, we might have even mentioned it here, that uh, they, they were joking that uh, these days, every podcast is a COVID-19 podcast. Yes. And 
I think there's something to that. This story comes from uh, the Daily Voice, which is a uh, Hackensack, New Jersey publication. And this is about uh, Western Union being required to pay $153 million in compensation to seniors who lost money in phone scams. Really? That was my response when I saw this because (laughs) several things. Well, let me me give you the details here and then we can unpack it together. So this is coming from the U.S. Justice Department. They're working with a number of of different federal organizations, uh, folks like the, the Postal Inspectors, the Federal Trade Commission. And basically what's happened here is that they've determined that Western Union was turning a blind eye to some of the money transfers uh, that were taking place as part of these scams. And even worse, some of Western Union's employees were taking part in the scams. So really, they were, in other words, they knew what was going on and they were allowing it to happen. Maybe, you know, getting tipped under the table, that sort of thing to, to again, turn a blind eye to this sort of thing. And uh, the Justice Department came in and said, no, you, you can't do this. What's interesting to me, too, is that Western Union has acknowledged responsibility for its criminal conduct, which included violations of the Bank Secrecy Act and aiding and abetting wire fraud. What struck me about that, you know, typically you see these sorts of things where you end up with a settlement with a big company like Western Union, and generally they don't admit any wrongdoing. Yes. You know, they, they'll say, well, we don't admit any wrongdoing, but here's some money and we're going to settle and just to, to make this go away because we're good citizens of the community and, and so on. But no, in this case, they said, yeah, 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 we're, uh, we're, we're our bad. So uh, very interesting. So they're going to be working to – they've sent out notices to over 500,000 potential victims. Uh, There's actually a website. It's uh, westernunionremission.com where if you feel as though you may have fallen victim to something where the money went through Western Union, you can go check it out and perhaps you'll get some of your money back. I hope so. What's the amount they settled for? Is it a settlement or is it actually a trial? It seems like it's happening in several phases. This first phase is $153 million that's going out to over 100,000 people. But uh, this article also says that ultimately Western Union is going to be paying nearly $600 million to compensate uh, some of these fraud schemes. It's a lot of money. It's more than half a billion dollars. It is a lot of money. There's uh, not a whole lot of details here in this article about how that breakdown works. But, you know, I, I wonder for the people themselves, is this, is this going to end up working like a class action suit where you don't really end up, you know, maybe you get a couple bucks or, <laughs> right, yeah, and, you know, and you get, get a free money. Western Union money transfer or something right. like that. I don't know. Hopefully these folks get made uh, partially whole, if not getting all their money back. But I, I guess what really struck me is it seems like these are few and far between where, Anybody gets anything back that right. the, the government comes after someone and, and uh, successfully gets a, back a, a large amount of money like this. So I'm, that's I'm looking good news. at the article right now, and I don't know that it's going to be one of those cases where the lawyers make off with most of the money because this is not a civil case. This is the Justice Department going after it. Yeah. It sounds to me like a criminal case. Right. There's admission of criminal wrongdoing. So I hope that these people get a lot more money back than they normally would from a civil case. Yeah, it's interesting. And and I guess, again, the message to go out to our listeners to warn folks is if anybody asks you to go transfer money, think twice about it. Ask a yeah, friend. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and how heartbreaking, too, that uh, perhaps some of the folks involved with this were sort of in on it. We're working with the bad guys to, again, turn a blind eye to this. That's a real shame. If you think about it, there's got to be, I mean, how many times in your life have you actually sent money via Western Union? 
I don't know that I ever have. Right. And have you ever received money via Western Union? I don't know that I ever have. <laughs> so if if you're a Western Union employee, right, or, or somebody that works where Western Union money is sent and received, and you keep seeing the same guy coming in every day, and he's getting $200, $1,000 sent to him every day, that might be a red flag, right? Could be. That you would maybe be obligated to report. I don't know how this works in, in Western Union policy or even in banking policy or law that says this. This might be a good question for Ben Yellen. Maybe he knows. Yeah. If I was working in this, I'd be curious about why somebody was coming in every day to collect some amount of money from me via Western Union, and I would be asking questions about this. Well, and you know, we've seen the stories where the folks who run the cash registers at places like CVS, you know, your drugstores, the places where right. people are going to be buying gift cards, they've had training to be on the lookout for this sort of thing. If if someone, Correct. if an elderly person comes through and is buying a few hundred dollars worth of iTunes gift cards, mm-hmm. that raises a red flag and they've trained the, the people at the cash register to, you know, of ways to kind of... Uh, Ask that person some questions to maybe hopefully set them off in the right direction. Yeah, so right. It, it is possible to do the right thing here. Uh, train your employees to you know to be on the right side of these things. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about CVS as a good example of this before, that they are trained like that. And and that's part of the corporate responsibility, I think, when you're dealing with this kind of thing. And I know the CVS by my house has a Western Union capability. In fact, I walked in there the other day and that Western Union capability has been automated. So now I don't even know that you need to interact with the CVS employee to send a MoneyGram. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's an important service, and lots of people make use of it for a lot of different ways, and, and uh, the vast majority of them legitimate. But uh, I guess, like anything, it can be abused. Absolutely. All right, Joe. Well, those are our stories. It is time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day comes from Camilo R.A. Friedman on Twitter. He is at Camilo Friedman, and it reads like this. Hello, sir, madam. I am Mr. Frank C. Calms, and I am requesting that I make you the executor to the wish of my late client, Mr. Miles Monroe, who died in a plane crash in Nassau, Bahamas, on the 9th of November, 2014. Before his death, he was a known preacher. But before we proceed any further, I will want you to go and make your research on this issue. After that is done, then we can talk it over, and then I will give you my proposal. All I need is to be sure that you can handle this transaction very well and also take care of the huge amount of money involved. And most especially, if I can trust you with the whole amount to deliver the dying wish of my late client after a successful transfer of the said funds into your bank account. Please stay safe and indoors to avoid the spread of this deadly virus, COVID-19. Thanks, Mr. Frank C. Calms. Dave, what's interesting about this is, first off, the scammer is very concerned about your COVID-19. But what he says, go and research this before you contact me back. But there was a man who was a Bahamian evangelist named Miles Monroe who died in November of 2014. Really? Yes. You did the research, Joe. I I did some research. (laughs) And he and his wife died during a plane crash during airport approach on November 9th, 2019. So this has a link to an actual event that you may or may not know about. The guy went to uh, Oral Roberts University, which is a, a Christian evangelist university. He's written tons of books. He's actually a very famous person if you're if you're into these kind of circles, I guess. I've never heard of this guy before. Have you? No. Miles Monroe is a, a real person. Yeah, so if you do your research, it comes you'll up. You'll actually, this, oh, isn't that fascinating? 
Yeah. Huh. So that lends a, a bit of credibility to it. It does. Yep, absolutely. Well, and then also interesting, I mean, almost almost cut and pasted onto the end of this about to, to stay safe right. <laughs> during COVID-19. From the deadly um, virus. Yeah. It also strikes me, I mean, the thing we've seen before, this person was a preacher, you yep. know, a religious person. Uh, That's right. Uh, so uh, presumably a person of good intent, a person yeah, so of high moral character. Yeah, so how can be wrong here, right? Right. Hmm. Fascinating. All right. Well, that is our catch of the day. Coming up next, my conversation with Dustin Warren from SpyCloud. His team has been monitoring criminal forums during the COVID-19 pandemic, and he's going to join us to share the types of things that they've been seeing. And we are back. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Dustin Warren. He's from a company called SpyCloud. And among the many things that he and his team do is they monitor criminal forums. And, of course, the criminal forums have been uh, hot with COVID-19 news. So he joins us and shares the types of things that they've been tracking online. Here's my conversation with Dustin Warren. Really, as soon as the news started coming out about COVID-19 here in the States, we started seeing a spike in COVID-19 themed malware and phishing lures. So we started seeing a, a spike in people, you know, using co- the COVID-19 theme to get people to, to click links and to download malware onto the machines that they otherwise probably would not have had if they were not searching for information related about COVID-19. Well, take us through some of the specifics here. What are some of the uh, more prevalent ones that you're uh, tracking? Everyone uh, probably remembers the news of that uh, Azeroth Stealer fake COVID-19 map tracker application that came out. Uh, That was one of the first ones that was covered. Basically, it was like a fake map application that was tracking COVID-19 infection statistics across the world. And it was actually using a live feed for that data. But in the background, it was actually running uh, Azeroth. Uh, which is a family of malware used for stealing credentials from infected machines. So that was one thing that we saw. We actually found on a criminal forum that we track, we found an actor that was offering up sort of like that service for people to buy that essentially they could buy that service and he would work with them to help them create their own phishing pretext related to COVID-19 and uh, even would would let them use like the fake COVID-19 map to, to deploy their malware that was using Java to, to basically drop that malware onto the infected machine. And because it was using Java, that specific kit was considered multi-platform. So it, it would work on OSX, MacBooks, and uh, Windows machines. And so in terms of uh, organizations protecting themselves against these uh, sorts of things, what do you recommend? Well, really just to stay vigilant. And one of the things you can do to stay vigilant is to educate your employees about what's going on. You really to say like, hey, be very careful about the emails that you're getting, especially if they're COVID-19 themed. We should always be careful about the emails that we're getting, but we, you know, it, we should have it in the back of our minds that attackers are using this crisis to their advantage right now. And a, a lot of folks out there are really concerned about this and they're they're searching for information constantly. It's kind of hard not to, right? Because you want to know what's going on, what are the latest statistics. And because people are doing that, they're clicking all of this new content. And if you look at the amount of new content that showed up online related to COVID-19, it's absolutely 
staggering, right? And so it's really hard to to determine how much of that is legitimate versus how much of that is, you know, scams or criminals taking advantage of people seeking information. So just really to stay vigilant. Yeah. What sort of uh, specific uh, steps have you all been taking to protect your own customers? We've released a public service announcement blog post, uh, really, where we're saying we show nine ways that attackers are capitalizing on COVID-19. And we cover some some examples of how actors uh, are using you know, they're, they're pretending to be government health agencies, things like that. They're creating fake mobile applications. So we really just show a lot of the different examples there uh, of how criminals are capitalizing off of COVID-19 themed content. I suppose a lot of this has really been shifts in the bait itself, using existing types of malware, but um, you know, using COVID-19 as, as the hook. That's right. One of the other things that we're seeing that's that's really interesting is more and more people are ordering food from home now, obviously, because of all hmm. the restrictions, you know, restaurants can't have people in them, things like that. So more and more people are using these services to order food online. And what we're seeing are criminals are starting to sort of take advantage of these, you know, the surge of these people signing up for these services. What will happen is someone will sign up for some sort of grocery service and they will reuse a previously compromised credential whenever they sign up for that service. And so what will happen is these criminals will check previously compromised credentials from past known breaches against that service and basically will find ways into those accounts. And what they'll do is they'll order food from those accounts for, for themselves and things like that. They're really finding uh, a lot of really creative new ways to take advantage of, of this crisis. And, and really, criminals can bank off of credential reuse. And that's one of the things that Spy Cloud is, is really determined to, to put a dent in. Uh, we, we help organizations really understand their, their exposure to credential reuse and what that could mean for them. But in this case, we're, we're seeing criminals are using COVID-19 themes to, uh, you know, or the the fact that COVID-19 is uh, uh, this massive crisis right now, they're abusing that to sort of get into these various services that people might be using now. So more and more people are getting streaming services because they're spending more time at home. And so, you know, criminals are, are taking advantage of, the, of that opportunity. All right, Joe, what do you what do you think? Dave, imagine getting a COVID-19 email six months ago. You would ignore it, right? It would have absolutely no purpose. Right, be right. meaningless. You would not have heard of COVID-19. You would not be worried about COVID-19. This is one of the things we've been talking about this. Of course, today, it's it's pretty much all COVID all, all the time, except for your story today. You know, even the catch of the day has, has a mention of it. Right. But it's a big lore, like Dustin says. When you hear the name Azrael, what do you think of? Hmm. If I hear the name Azrael, I don't know. I guess I think of Ariel from The Little Mermaid, but that's oh. just me. <laughs> Azrael was the name of Gargamel's cat in the Smurfs. Oh, okay. That was oh, even uh, better. Yeah, that's that's what I remember. But you know what Azrael actually is? It's the angel mm. of death from uh, Islamic and Jewish lore. Oh, okay. Huh. Uh, which is I find interesting. Yeah. It's also a malware tool here that's been commoditized. So you can buy it online and distribute it to help you get what you want out of these different victims you're going to exploit. But it runs on Java, which is interesting. Now, Java, I don't want to get too technical, but Java is a language that allows you to write software that's write once, run anywhere. So mm. I can run a Java program on a Mac. I can run a Java program on Windows or on Linux, any operating system just about. There are Java uh, environments that will run this malware. So right. it's an attempt at optimization by these uh, malware authors to make it easier to distribute this malware to more platforms. Hmm. 
Yeah, make it easier on themselves. <laughs> right, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> right, right. Just like, you know, you think about it, just like companies who want to have a program that, that they only have to write once, they only have to maintain one code base, so they use Java, the bad guys do the same thing, right? Yeah, why not? Hey, yeah, well, it's a business. Why not build in those efficiencies? Right, absolutely. I appreciate Dustin and the team at SpyCloud with their public service and coming on this podcast and talking about this. I would advise you to take a look at their blog. The blog entry is called PSA, Nine Ways Attackers Are Capitalizing on COVID-19. A lot of these are relevant. Some of them are not so relevant, but a lot of them are. I like his uh, targeting food delivery accounts via credential stuffing. That's a pretty important topic he talked about. And it's amazing to me that that still works. But people are signing up for these food delivery services. They've never signed up for them before. But they're using passwords that have already been compromised. So it's essentially like signing up without a password. If if an attacker knows uh, your email address and and an old password that you use and you reuse that and they stuff those credentials into a web page and get a hit, they're going to buy groceries on your dime and send them to themselves. Yeah. That's just how this works. So don't reuse passwords, use a password manager. And of course, multi-factor authentication is great here, but still use a password manager. It's yeah. very important. <laughs> yes, yes. We should have t-shirts made, Joe. That's yes, we, <laughs> <laughs> we absolutely should get t-shirts say, made. Use a password manager. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> and then it's, at conferences, instead of people walking up and saying, are you Dave? They'll say, you must be Joe, because that's what I've been saying for years and years and years and years. <laughs> Right. Use a password manager. Use a password right, manager. Right, right. It's Joe. Use a password manager, Kerrigan. Right. At your service. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Fittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 